Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Who'd have thought that there was a link between sustainability and children's food and toilet slippers, but they're obviously <laughs> Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Cy Wilmore. We're now into the third season of the podcast and we're changing tack slightly. This series will continue speaking to the freelance writers and photographers who've helped us create Journey Travel Magazine but we'll also be talking to travel pioneers, trailblazers, and thought leaders who are pushing the envelope in the industry. As such, today I'm speaking with Rochelle Turner, Head of Sustainability at Exodus Travels. She's had senior roles at Ipsos Mori, TUI, WITCH, and the World Travel and Tourism Council. And she's joined the Exodus team to spearhead their nature net positive commitment, as well as many other initiatives. Rochelle, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. I hope you're keeping well. Yes, yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, pleasure's all mine. Thank you so much for your time. Let's get straight into it, Rochelle. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you came from and how you got into the travel industry. So I'm British, but I grew up in Canada and having oh. family um, far, far away always meant that we traveled as a family. So we traveled a lot back to the UK to visit family and friends. And then obviously Canada being such an enormous country. Sure. Uh, meant that my parents, having been new to the country, felt that they needed to share the country with us. And so we explored quite a lot of it. So travel was, I suppose, always in our blood. When I left Canada after university, um, I went and lived in Japan for a number of years. Oh, and wow. living in Japan was obviously an incredible experience. But when I arrived, I didn't speak the language. I couldn't read anything. and I couldn't really communicate. But I stood out a mile because I had bright red hair and everywhere <laughs> I went I was this sort of local phenomenon because I could be pointed at and and addressed very easily as there's the foreigner and <laughs> like I had a glow about me um, and traveled a lot around Japan and then from Japan into East Asia and other parts of the world and came back then 
to the UK to study and I, I studied tourism. So I guess sort of tourism's been in, in me um, and travel has been in me um, my whole life. Fantastic. Let's just dive into to your experiences in Japan for a second. It, it feels so wildly different, but so wildly easily relatable. I always thought about Japan. What kind of do any particular experiences come to mind of being the the outsider, but somehow, you know, always being made to feel welcome, I can imagine? always being made to feel welcome and you're absolutely right it is just something fundamentally human about any part of the world where you know we all share a a common understanding and a common grounding um and and people are genuinely helpful they are very um fearful i think to speak english in many cases and i lived not in tokyo and not in osaka or kyoto the, the big cities i lived very much on the opposite coast and it was very very rural and so being a foreigner meant I had to really sort of get a lot of people to overcome, I guess, in, in a way, their fear of, of foreigners, because I was, for many people, the very first person that they hadn't they had seen who was wow. not Japanese. Um, and for a lot of kids and a lot of old people, particularly, they had no experience. And so, you know, I would be touched or someone would touch my hair or, you know, they just would come up to me and want to talk to me. And it was it was wonderful. And I felt almost sort of like this need to be a good person to be an ambassador to you know to show that actually we are all human and we all can relate to one another and so you know i there's so many things about japan that are very very different and so you know you you go into people's houses and here you would take your shoes off which is fine but in Japan, you, you take your shoes off and then you put slippers on and then you go into a different room and you have to take those slippers off because you can't walk on the straw mats, the tatami with, with slippers on. <laughs> of course, you know, I would always you know mess up. And it's the same when you go into the toilets, the toilets have their own slippers. And so you take your slippers off that you've taken your shoes off and you put your slippers on, but then there's a different pair of slippers to put on when you go into the toilet. And yeah. so it's, it's little things like that, that, you know, to someone who has not obviously adjusted to that kind of culture, Amazing. it's very difficult to get to grips with. For, I mean, I, I had no idea of the concept of toilet slippers until two yeah. minutes ago, but that, that's yeah. wonderful. I mean, it is. I've, I've had the the fortune to to go to Japan myself a couple of times, and it is this. You know, they talk about kind of a culture of respect. Maybe that's a cliche in its in its in its own right, but. It is. Yeah, I mean, and you see that, you know, the fans at the football cleaning up after themselves mm. in the stadium. And there's a real culture of respect that I think yeah. ties in very much with sustainability and with sort of this need to sort of respect things in a way that perhaps we don't always in, in other cultures and other societies. Mm. In Buddhism, there's a lot of respect um, and not that everyone is religious, but there's sort of just this aura of of culture that is been born from you know the deep philosophical um, religions of Shintoism and, and Buddhism and there is a, a belief in there about respect and respecting where things come from and so children in schools when they are given food to eat for their school dinners um, and in restaurants as well people in restaurants they eat every last scrap because it's a respect to the farmer and to respect to the nature and the land and the wind and the air that has helped to grow the crops that are produced and then obviously go into the food that's made. And so this sort of deep respect for, you know, the things as well as as people. And I think that's something that, you know, I like to, you know, take away sometimes and think about, well, how can I bring that respect into 
what I'm doing or what I'm buying or or how I'm thinking. And there's a lot of that that is needed in in today's world where we, you know, we don't necessarily throw things or we don't necessarily respect things, which means that too many things get thrown away or not bought with enough care and attention. Absolutely, Rochelle. I mean, it's um, who'd have thought that there was a link between sustainability and children's food and toilet slippers, but they're obviously <laughs> Um, well, let, let's kind of continue down down this path of of respect, as as we're calling it. Absolutely, is is about respecting the planet. In the case of sustainability, tell us a little bit about your kind of your first jobs in the in the travel industry, and when did well sustainability was already definitely a part of your life, but when did it become the focus of your career of your professional pursuits? So. I came back after Japan and I did a master's degree at the University of Surrey in tourism management um, and then still really didn't know what I wanted to do and ended up doing tourism research and market research for Mori, now Ipsos Mori, and actually standing on street corners and asking people their opinions of the various tourist attractions that they had been to at the time and so did a lot of work for museums around London um, and other institutions that were related to tourism, both sort of asking questions and, and, and filling in surveys, but also sitting in, in groups and asking people for their more deeper opinions about what they thought about the way that um, a museum might be laid out, for example, or how the communication worked in the, um, what, in the newsletters and things that they were sent. Um, and then um, moved again through research into TUI and, and, and for working for understanding what the consumers thought of their holidays and how those holidays could be made better and uh, and then from there to, to which the Consumers Association sure. and, and all along, um, I guess because of just sort of who I am and the way I grew up and, um, you know, the need for understanding more about the environment and bringing the environment into um, how people were thinking and, and how holidays were being sold in the case of TUI or products were being made when I was at which you know, what environmental sustainability um, uh, questions were being asked by consumers or, or people were thinking about this when they were selling their holidays or selling their products. And are there um, messages that would resonate more with one type of customer or another? And this was always in my head, but it wasn't necessarily in the heads of the people I was working with. Sure. And I, I would always get frustrated because I didn't think that there was enough of this sort of care and attention towards what are the people in these destinations that are being sent, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of visitors at a time. What are the people that live there? What are they thinking about and how are they communicating with the tourists or how are they, you know, dealing with the fact that at certain times of the year, their village, their communities are essentially being turned into museums in their own right. And so I would try and, and work from the inside and, and, and always try and ask these questions that many times would just sort of get brushed away. And so I always felt that I was sort of fighting this fight and, and trying to do, um, do right by the destinations and by the people and by you know, the environment, but it didn't feel I was, I was really getting anywhere. Um, when I moved to the World Travel and Tourism Council, again, I was mainly there as a researcher, but both on the economic side, looking at what are the numbers, so how many jobs are created by tourism in certain parts of the world, and how much money is brought into 
countries through tourism, through the, um, the tourism that either comes from the domestic economy, and so you're sort of moving money around, so instead of buying food or buying a television or buying a car, you're buying a holiday in your country. And um, similarly, if you're coming new to a country, you're bringing your money from another country. So it's actually can export earning, and you're bringing that to the country. So instead of that country having to sell widgets or fish or whatever it might be to another country they're actually selling their country to to tourists that come and bring those dollars into into your uh, into your home um, but then also looking at more of the policy side how can we control tourism in a way that works for the destinations and did a lot of big projects around um, you know, way back before the pandemic, there were a lot of concerns about over tourism. And I think that's probably an area that um, we will see again in the not too distant Definitely. future in a lot of parts of the world. And, you know, are there policy decisions? Are there practices? Are there um, ways that businesses or uh, businesses can come together and start thinking about how they need to diversify the offerings that they have, but then also at a government level, how can governments start to address some of these issues and, and create routes that move people out of some of the peak areas and into lesser known attractions that still people can have an incredible experience um, in, but also might not um, you know, overburden some of the areas. And so uh, did a lot of work on that. And then it was this sort of attempt to, to really address some of the um, sustainability best practices we had at the time an award scheme called the Tourism for Tomorrow Awards, which really found incredible examples of tourism um, across the world in you know, categories around community, around environment and biodiversity in terms of technology, and these incredible examples of what destinations were doing and what companies were doing to really be the best that they could be in um, adapting to the way that the world needs to go with low carbon incentives, with building on community investments, with supporting local workers. Um, and it was, I think, a lot of inspiration for me has come from the winners and finalists of, of those Tourism for Tomorrow Awards, which to this day, I still very much um, either have as, as friends, because I've become friendly with the people that, that started these programs, or um, use them in my own sort of thinking and examples and where I'm asked to think of a, a best practice or a company that's doing good in certain areas, one of those will quite often be the first that comes to mind. Fantastic. Absolutely, absolutely fascinating to hear, Rochelle. Um, well, let's pick up on that point you've just made there about, you know, bearing in mind certain companies, certain initiatives, certain practices that are being used, that are being employed to, to make the world a better place effectively. Can you think of any specific examples of either companies or their initiatives that are really making a positive impact in the world today? I can think of, of so many. There are fortunately <laughs> so many of these today. I've got all day. Um, Let's talk. Do you? Okay, great. I've, <laughs> I've got loads of examples. Fantastic. Um, one that I've, I've heard about just within the last year, actually, um, it comes across as this incredible inspiration to me. It's, it's a company called the Embu River Lodge, and it's in, in Africa. Oh, yeah, I've heard of it. Have you yeah, heard of yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. What I really love about it is, is the founder of this lodge said, 
his his mantra was no compromise and even though many of the technologies and um, uh, ways of working that he wanted to put into place when they built this lodge didn't exist in Kenya. So for example, they have no plastics. Um, they have a circular water system. So all of the gray water from um, sanitation goes into a reed bed, which all then gets cleaned through the reeds and then it gets recirculated and then re um, put back through the system into gray water system again. And so it's this circular system in a part of the world where we know that water is a scarce resource. They grow their own vegetables. They have their own solar farms. They have converted their safari jeeps from being diesel jeeps into solar power jeeps, which are run by the solar powers that they've got from their, uh, their solar panels. And, and it's just this incredible um, sort of haven in a part of the world where other companies might come along and say, oh, that's too difficult. You can't do that in Africa. You can't do that in this part of the world. And they just said, no compromise. We are doing it. And now they have built on that. And now they, you know, have used the opportunity. So they've got the lodge and then they um, share their knowledge and, and do consultancy in, in other parts of the world and with others who would like to take on that, uh, that all of that role about being circular, being sustainable, using nature in the best way possible, and supporting local communities in the process. And I just think they are an incredible example. Um, another one is um, the Fogo Island in off the coast of Newfoundland in Canada. And this is um, an island uh, resort, again, you know, very much embedded in the community. The community are all stakeholders in the hotel. But one of the things I really like that they do is, you know, when you buy um, food, on the back of it is a white and black nutrition label, and it sure. will tell you how many calories and, you know, where the food comes from. And Fogo Island have done exactly the same thing, and they have put a nutrition label on the back of um, or on the products that they sell. And so this night in this hotel will be this much carbon and this much benefit to the community, and this many jobs are supported by the fact that you've stayed in this hotel. And this is how we've, um, you know, spread the benefit and, you know, use the local woodworkers to create the furniture, and we've got the fishing from the local fishermen and all of these things, but it's on this on this little label, because one of the things that comes about quite a lot in sustainability is that we say that people find it very difficult to know what is a good company and what is not a very good company and where there is a bit of greenwashing and where people are overstating their claims and how are consumers supposed to know one from another. And I think these examples like um, the Fogo Island, but also sort of this, this very fundamental no compromise ethos that's built into some companies like the Embu River Lodge really sort of hones in on the fact that this can be done. Um, and, you know, with enough will and enough um, support in the communities, um, you can really benefit and, and tourism can be so beneficial where, th where that is the case. It's wonderful. We're kind of talking of tourism being beneficial. I guess that brings us nicely to Exodus Travels, which, of course, you've joined the team not too long ago. And one of the big initiatives for Exodus in this coming year will be the Nature Net Positive scheme. Uh, could you explain a little bit to the listeners about what the scheme is and presumably it's intended to grow throughout 2023? Yeah, it's, I think, less of a scheme and more of, again, a sort of a way that we want to, to run our business. Sure, we sure. want to be 
nature net positive, which means that we want to make sure that what we take out from nature in the way that we run our trips is more than um, put back into nature, into regeneration, into rewilding of destinations, into doing, um, working with scientists and, and researchers to ensure that we are understanding more about the biodiversity and, and the species that live in those parts of the world, that the trips that we're going on are in touch with those natural environments and that we are increasing and, and diversifying the way that um, our itineraries are supporting local conservation efforts and um, visiting places, but also getting a bigger understanding, a greater understanding of the people that are going on our trips. So when they come out, they understand more about the places they visit, the, um, the relationships between people and the land, the relationship between um, the, the nature in that part of the world and then perhaps what they do in their own daily lives and how they might be able to adjust um, their own behaviors when they return home from holiday. So this is um, something that we have made a, a very bold claim that we want to be nature net positive by 2024, which means that uh, we look at things from a, a carbon emission perspective, what, you know, accounting for um, our carbon emissions on a, on a per trip, per person basis. And um, so we've got all of that and then we can mitigate and, and reduce our, our carbon on our trips, um, but then also mitigate and, and compensate for those emissions that are impossible to, um, uh, to reduce. That we're um, really looking at how we can cut back on pollution and waste. Um, all of our trips um, are trying to be absolutely zero plastic. Um, and we're working really hard on that. And you know, trips that in the middle of nowhere, because many of our trips are, are quite adventurous, um, you know, we make a real effort to carry water and water supplies with us and so that there is no need for people to carry plastic water bottles there is no need for a lot of the wrap that um, sometimes comes in plastics because we work with our hoteliers and our suppliers to to get rid of that and so there's this real focus on on getting rid of pollution and then as i mentioned this sort of work around um, how we can make sure that the ecosystems that we're visiting are not being exploited and that we're doing far more as a business to, um, to value and to um, uh, in, in, ensure that our resources are going into rewilding or, or reforestation or, or protection of lands that, that need protecting. Fantastic. You're quite right, Rochelle. Nature Net Positive, it's not a scheme. I guess it's more of like a, an ethos way. Yeah, so, you know, to ensure that we're restoring and transforming and then reducing um, and then in some cases just saying, no, we're not going to go to those places. We're not going to do those kinds of activities. Wow. We are going to avoid certain behaviors uh, in order to make sure that we can um, we can actually justify, you know, there's there's this this huge um uh, well, I, I realize that there is a lot of greenwashing out there and we don't want um, in any way to be part of that. This has to be real. This has to be 100 um, percent. You can open our books and we want to be very transparent about how we are taking this approach and to go down a route where we can be trusted for the claims that we're making. I think transparency is absolutely the key word in a lot of this. So as you uh, exactly as you've just said, Rochelle, you know, 
feels like everybody's been kind of jumping on sustainability bandwagon, obviously less so during the pandemic because that was just about survival and, and not getting hurt or hurting loved ones. But now that the world is slowly but surely coming back to, to normality, fingers crossed. Um, yeah, there does seem to be these work. I mean, there, there was a huge number of talks at the WTM sustainability stage in November and it feels like a lot of people are saying a lot of things or, you know, they're, they're, a lot of words are coming out of their mouth without them really saying anything. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of yeah. nonsense. Um, there is there is a lot of nonsense, but I'm I'm heartened that there is also a lot of action. True. And Very true. particularly over the last few years, we have seen a lot more action. And, and that, I think, is, is fantastic. We're seeing a lot of movement towards starting to really measure some of the things that hadn't been measured before because you have to start with a baseline and this it takes a while you know you had it does take a long time to go through in our case all of our trips and say okay well you know of this trip how much is accommodation how much is driving how much is flying how much is food um, and what are the carbon elements of all of those kinds of um, uh, of those different elements of the trip and how can we reduce and how can we cut back and you know those are, are big projects that like you say for companies that were really really um, uh, impacted by the the pandemic and, and travel and tourism and leisure probably more so than so many other industries um, you know it, it takes resource and it, and it takes money to be able to to pull that information all together and so the fact that it's being seen by many, many companies. And in some cases, it's, you know, the, the, the bigger companies, it's being pushed by the stock exchanges and the investors, which is only a good thing. Um, and other companies realizing that actually, in order to have this sort of license to operate, you're going to have to behave much more responsibly. And, and um, that is, I think, being much more embedded into many, many companies. And you see, you know, jobs being advertised for sustainability managers and sustainability executives um, in a ways that just didn't ever happen before. And I think it's, it's fantastic that it is starting to happen. And, you know, by soon, in a, in a few years time, everyone will be doing it. And yes, I think some companies still see that they can, or, or, or think that they can get competitive advantage by pretending to be greener than others and, and saying things where it's not genuine. Um, but they're starting to be called out on that. And there are all sorts of rules and regulations around marketing and advertising that we're starting to see as well, um, that is trying to get rid of the greenwashing and being forcing companies to say, okay, well, if you're making green claims, we want you to prove it. And some really interesting legal um, uh, legislation coming out as well on that, um, particularly in Europe, but also in, in the UK as well. Wonderful. You're quite right. There's, yeah, you see things like CSR rep, sustainability exec in, in kind of in jobs and, and job industries that had never done such a thing before. So you're quite right. It does feel like it's, uh, should we say it's like moving mainstream, finally, sustainability, yeah. the chance for everybody and every company, every uh, organization to actually really start thinking about this stuff rather than it being this kind of, should we say, like niche or specialist thing that it used to be five, 10 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're seeing far more positions on boards as well, sure, the definitely. chief sustainability officer as, as a, a valid position on many, many boards and boards being required to have expertise and understanding and 
sustainability is something that investors are looking for. So no, I'm, I'm genuinely positive about um, the fact that, you know, this is all going to mean that the industry and all other industries as well start to become far more um, far more responsible in how they're behaving and, and recognizing their own impacts and starting to mitigate for those impacts that they're making. Fantastic. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One of, the, one of the things you just touched on there was training education uh which of course is crucial in in any kind of uh should we say generation defining shift which hopefully this is what this is going to be uh on the note of training and education you've actually yourself recently completed the climate reality leadership core training could you tell us a little bit about what that scheme aims to do sure it's um it's a fascinating course actually so it's run by the former vice president of U.S. Al Gore, oh, wow. and he uh, he wanted to bring people together to teach them about the impacts of climate change and the impacts awesome. um, across the world and where those impacts are greatest and why they are greatest. And so the science behind what is happening and how our climate is changing and why certain parts of the world becoming wetter, why other parts of the world are becoming drier, and, and what is the impact of that, and um, how communities, how destinations are going to be suffering, if they're not suffering already, where those impacts are going to be felt the greatest, and then what can be done. And so you go through a, a five-day course, um, and it's, it's all available freely online. Anybody around the world can Google Climate Reality Leadership Course, held once or twice a year. You commit to doing um, these this five day five day course. As part of that, you have sort of breakout groups, and so I've got a WhatsApp group with some people that live locally to me that we still keep in contact with and tell each other about okay. different events that are happening. Um, and the idea is that once you've had your training, you get access to all of the information that you were trained with, and then you are supposed to go out and share that information and share knowledge. And so tell uh, community groups or schools or you know church groups or other um, people that are could be or should be interested in understanding about climate science, you've got the, the training and you've got this slide deck and, and the information to be able to tell that story. Um, and so it's trying to be this sort of snowball of people telling people who tell people and galvanizing a sort of 
a group of, of people all across the world to be leaders in climate reality. And the idea that if everyone becomes a leader, then at least everyone starts to know a little bit more about why we're facing some of the storms, some of the droughts, some of the rainfall, some of the really inconsistent weather and you know, trees budding in the garden in November when they should be in, in April. And, and why all these things are happening so that it stops them to think, oh, actually, what can I do about it? And how can I take action differently? And what are the kinds of things that I need to be asking of myself, of my purchases, my energy company, the bank I'm buy, um, I'm banking with, my MPs. How can I ask these questions and and put pressure on them to start doing the things that would be better for the environment overall? One of the, one of the points you've just touched on there was science, Rochelle, uh, and this leads us nicely into the next question, which is citizen science departures, which is one of Exodus Travel's newest initiatives. Perhaps you could explain a little bit about the Citizen Science Departures Programme uh, and the role that they play in building what's being called the e-bio atlas. So this is so exciting and I'm going to geek out a bit here because I love it. <laughs> awesome. So there is um, this way that scientists have, have been able to find out what kinds of animals live in an environment, animals and creatures of all kinds live in an environment by taking a sample of fresh water and then putting it through a filter. And then that filter then goes to the lab and that lab is able to extract environmental DNA. Wow. And the DNA is obviously something that lives in every human being. And so, and, and in everything on the planet. And when those living things um, will uh, defecate or live in water and their feathers or their skin cells or whatever it might be, go into the water, the water holds, the fresh water holds that DNA. And so the scientists can extract that DNA and then be able to say, what is happening in that local environment? And this is so important because it's building you said this this e-bio atlas which is this encyclopedia of what animals and plants and uh, other living creatures are living in these places in wow. the world which helps us then to understand what kinds of uh, destinations what kinds of protections need to be in place in order to ensure that there is continuing biodiversity and that we're species that we know or thought existed and we can't find any evidence of or hopefully um, species that actually we haven't seen for a long time but the eDNA will show that these species do exist and we need to do more to protect these areas. So just last week in um, in Montreal in Canada there was um, a big was called a COP event, a conference of the parties of bringing together of people in this case, not to talk about um, climate change, but to talk about nature and to talk about the need for nature and biodiversity to be really raised up the, the political and, and country agenda. And they all agreed that 30% of all countries land should be set aside for protection and biodiversity growth and, and investment in, um, in the nature and natural um, land or water in many cases for, for that country. And part of that understanding as well is 
is the science to know what parts of the lands need to be protected. And it's only through these kinds of projects that we, um, we, can, we can do that. So this citizen science project, we're giving the opportunity for customers on these trips. There are about 20 different trips at the moment, and, and hopefully we will have more um, in the future all across the world. Um, and so we've got trips, you know, in, in some of them in Europe, some of them in, um, in Asia, in Latin America, in, in North America as well. And they can, as part of their trip, take a sample of, of fresh water they get a, a discussion and they talk about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And then um, that sample then gets shipped um, in special conditions back to the lab in the UK. And we're working with a company called Nature Metrics for that. So it's this fantastic project, Nature Metrics and, and the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, uh, a UN body, IUCN, support this, this EU bioatlas to collect all of this data and information about all the world's species um, and so that yeah we can understand more because it's only through understanding that we can know what to protect how to protect where to protect and we're so thrilled that we're able to be part of this because it's just um i think anyway i think it's a really exciting opportunity for for people on our trips and for anybody you know you and me who go on an exodus holiday to be able to be part of something that actually shows that we're, we're bigger than um you know this is this is bigger than just little me sitting on this earth it, this is this is about the, the 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 what's in the world and i think it's a fantastic opportunity it's absolutely wonderful rochelle uh, just to confirm folks if you're listening and you want to learn more it's the e bio atlas uh project uh, or initiative uh, and um, Exodus are doing citizen science departures, which is one of their new initiatives, one of their new programs, particularly for 2023, that will kind of contribute towards the eBio Atlas. What, a, what an absolutely fantastic project. I mean, if I can kind of crudely sum it up as looking at poo to save the world, is that about right? But, <laughs> but it, well, is, it is a wonderful, wonderful project. Yes, I mean, it, it luckily it's the water and it's, it's, it's not that itself. So um, it's, yeah, but it's, it, it's a wonderful project indeed. Looking at, looking at the water. Sorry, more specifically, you're quite right, Rochelle, but it is, it's, <laughs> a, it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful concept. Let's have a slight change of pace now, Rochelle, because uh, still very much on brand for, for the type of person that you are, uh, but a slight change of pace rather than talking about climate reality leadership or citizen science. Uh, you've become a beekeeper recently. <laughs> Yes. Tell us a little bit about what inspired that and, and what does the, you know, what entail, what is entailed in the daily life of a beekeeper? Well, I don't, I'm trying to think what inspired it. I think I've always just been really interested in bees. And sure. over the lockdown um, period, you know, when everyone's stuck inside, there's this sort of humming that goes on in the garden. And I don't know <laughs> if you remember that, that very first lockdown down it was beautiful actually and yeah. for for us that were you know sitting at home and working because we were fortunate that you know we didn't have to go out into this sort of scary world of, of potential disease we we got an opportunity to well I did anyway to sit in my garden and the sun was shining it was really warm and I could work in outside and the bees were humming and I just thought actually I'd, I'd really always been fascinated by bees and and thought well, I, I really want to know what happens when they come into the garden and they take that pollen and then 
you know, what happens in their little world when they go back to the hive. And so I did, um, of course, initially it was just online, but an online beekeeping course all about um, the bees and their life cycles and, you know, the different kinds of threats that they face. Um, And again, I guess more me more thinking about this from a from a nature perspective and and how um, I can build or not build, I, I can sow seeds in my garden or encourage um, <laughs> nature bombing, which I sometimes mm-hmm. do with wildflowers around um, verges and, and roundabouts and things like that, that, um, you know, what, what nature do we need to in, keep in order to make sure that our planet survives? And, and I've um, took a course then, so we moved from fortunately from just being online actually then going and working in an apiary and it was really exciting to go to the hive and and to look at the each of the different frames and to see the different larvae and and was there enough of it and are they being cleaned are they looked after properly and really inspect you know what is happening and then to ensure that you know those bees are you know, that they are not getting different diseases and that they're not swarming and scaring people and then people being afraid of bees. And I just think um, it was it was a real learning for this complete different kind of world. You know, we we know about animals and we know about ourselves, obviously, but I don't know if there's always enough understanding about insects. And, you know, mm-hmm. insects are obviously so important to everything about you know, how animals live and, and how our soil is developed. And, and um, I, I just think it, it, it's so important anyway. So I was, I was really fascinated by, by these bees. And um, I don't have a hive myself, but I go to the apiary and I help out at the apiary. And I, I just find it, it's, it's quite therapeutic actually, because imagine, you yeah. hear this sort of humming and this low sound um, and you have to concentrate and you have to be slow and I've not been stung. Um, Ooh, and I think as, as long as you are slow and sort of methodical and, you know, almost res- again, you know, going back to that earlier conversation about respect, you're respecting sure. their world and you're not trying to upset them. You are just trying to ensure that they are, that they are healthy and that they are living um, in a way that they need to, in order for us to be able to benefit most from them. So, yeah, no, I, I found it um, a really quite um, almost meditative yeah, uh, approach because you you do have to sort of just become really quiet and and just tune into the the lovely sound of the humming. It's fantastic. Uh, you're quite right. I think the word yeah, therapeutic or meditative meditative is that the right word? Yeah, absolutely. When you when you say you've got the Oh God, am I going to say it? Yes, there's a hive of activity. I'm saying it. I'm sorry. And, you know, but they've all got their roles. They've all got this kind of part to play in society as showing how little I know about beekeeping right now. But uh, it must be quite um, a weirdly, yeah, calming kind of calming influence on your life. Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's encouraged me as well to learn more about say the insect world to learn more about nature to learn more about some of the threats that our animal world um, and plant world are facing from from chemicals and from the way that we live our lives and you know to think about again you know going back to to me and thinking about well what can I do to 
change some of my behaviors to um you know buy different things or or think about you know how i approach you know the slugs that i don't like yeah, in my sure. garden and then you know, yeah. all these things that i think where are they useful if they're not eating my radishes but um, <laughs> <laughs> fantastic Rochelle. Wonderful. I think we kind of slowly but surely start wending our way towards the end of this conversation. We are kind of slowly but surely running out of time. Uh, but uh, one thing that I always think it's nice to to kind of ask ask our guests before they leave us is, is let's pretend that, um, you know, somebody wants to start in the industry, either in travel, either in sustainability, perhaps in beekeeping. You know, they want to they want to become one of these types of people. What advice would you give to somebody who's looking to start out in your industry? I think it would be to find a company that aligns with your own values and to really spend some time thinking about how that actually is the case. Because today, you know, there are still a lot of companies out there, unfortunately, that travel is not about, for them, travel is not about the people in those destinations or how, um, how those places can really be shown to their fullest. It really is about much more of a, a commodified approach to travel. And I don't think that is the way that anyone who really cares about the travel industry and who cares about people who go to different places in the world wants to think our industry um, should be. And that's not the way that I would ever want our industry to be focused on. You know, it's not about it's not about heads on beds. It's not about, um, you know, absolute numbers of people. It is about experiences. And I would want people to experience those great companies that are out there. And there are so many of them that really care about the people, the planet and the places and how they all can be part of making travel so much more enjoyable for the people that get to go on those trips. And, you know, it's one of the reasons that I really wanted to join Exodus and I'm so happy I'm six weeks in to my job. And, you know, this is my dream job really because oh, awesome. I'm working for a company that really does care about this stuff that, you know, it's small scale adventure trips in different parts of the world where we know we are really making a difference to the communities that we're impacting on the ground that people come back with experiences that they never would have had before and you know with a, an outlook on life that they probably didn't ever think that they would necessarily have to or have been changed by by travel and i think travel can change if it's done well and if it's done properly and I would hope that anyone who goes into this industry goes into it for that reason, rather than just to sell holidays and, and cheap holidays to destinations where you don't get to experience people and you don't get to experience places in the way that I think um, the world needs that in order to fuel understanding and, and fuel sort of hope that we are actually all aligned and we can all, you know, live together peacefully and harmoniously on a planet that you know, does need our support. Um, otherwise, you know, we can see the devastation that climate change is going to bring. 100%. Well, to fuel kind of harmonious living, to fuel maybe respect of the planet, to kind of bring the whole the conversation full circle and talk about respect that this uh, the planet that we, we live in. 
Absolutely, absolutely. I think um, a little more respect wouldn't. Uh, it's friendly this time of year. You know, we're we're at a time of um, you know peace and goodwill to all. And uh, I think this time of goodwill to all that's a good message to end on. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Rochelle. It's been wonderful talking to you. Folks, you've been listening to Rochelle Turner, who is the Head of Sustainability at Exodus Travels. You can learn more about them at exodus.co.uk. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rochelle. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been wonderful to talk to you, Simon. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to The Journey Podcast, which is available at journeymag.com. That's J-R-N-Y-M-A-G.com or wherever you usually access your podcasts. I'm Cy Wilmore. Thanks for listening. And Merry Christmas. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.